0: Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and 30 North Investments.
1: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Rusciutti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi,
2: I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The federal government encourages us to give money away. Charitable donations are tax deductible, and Americans take advantage of that to the tune of about $250 billion a year. If you're wondering if that's really a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, it is. Nonprofit organizations account for about 5% of our gross domestic product. And one of the largest and most recognizable nonprofits is the United Way. Here in New Orleans, the United Way of Southeast Louisiana is headed up by its president and CEO, Michael Williamson. And the current campaign chair is Rick Haas, whose day job is president of Ladder and Bloom, the largest independently owned real estate brokerage in the Gulf South. Michael and Rick, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you for having us. Glad to, to be here, Peter. Here in New Orleans, everything has its own flavor, even nonprofit organizations. Chef Emeril Lagasse and his wife Alden established the Emeril Lagasse Foundation in 2002 to inspire, mentor, and enable youth to reach their full potential through culinary, nutrition, and arts education. To date, the foundation has given over $6 million to children's charities. The president of the Emeril Lagasse Foundation is Brian Kish, Brian, welcome down to lunch. Thank you, appreciate it. Now, Michael, most of us are familiar with the United Way through its marketing outreach, ads that remind us of the various ways we can donate to the cause. So we know where the money comes from. What we're probably less familiar with is where the money goes. Do you assist specific individuals or do you administer giving on a larger (laughs) scale through community organizations? How does it work? We've done a little bit of everything in our history, helping individuals.
3: Yeah, you know, doing program work, but now we're really focused on, you know, investing in collaboratives that deliver, you know, scalable community level change.
2: You still have the thermometer? Yeah, <clears throat> you
3: know, we still use the it's thermometer like from <laughs> time to time. But interestingly enough, you know, um, you can't you can't measure impact in dollars raised. Um, That's true. You, you know, so hence the reason to focus more on scalable community level change that we as citizens in the community can see. Are more kids graduating from high school? Are more children starting school ready to learn? Are there less homeless individuals on the street? You know, do folks have greater access to, you know, to opportunities, economic opportunities? So, um, but yeah, we still kind of throw the thermometers around. Workplaces love it because they like to see oh, sure. how much they raise, but it's not a sign of our
2: of our impact. And, you know, you do so many things, but I saw one section called uh, Success 6, I think it's called. Success by 6. Yeah, and uh, and tell me what the... What the goal is there, because uh, you know I've heard a lot of people say you've got to in order to make significant change, you got to get to people early in their lives. Is that what's behind that?
3: So sure, it, you know in a way we encourage patience, um, but you know when you look at the work of our Success by Six Collaborative, one of many around the country, is focused on ensuring that children you know start school healthy and ready to learn. So the formative years are between zero and three. A lot of brain development takes place. But after that, a lot of work has to take place to ensure that children get the proper care and nurturing so they go to first grade actually healthy and prepared to learn. Because if not, they start out behind and without a lot of support along the way, they end up falling farther and farther behind. I had a good friend of mine in an organization back in my hometown that used to tell me, you know, Michael, you know, our children start dropping out in middle school. They make it official in high school. Hmm. The Uh, point being, in middle school,
2: You don't, you know, you, you can't make that decision. But once you get big enough in high school, you can. Now, Rick, uh, you've been a guest here before, and uh, you know that, uh, and we know that under your leadership, Ladder and Bloom has seen phenomenal growth. But when you're not working, you've certainly earned uh, vacation or golf time. What attracted you to giving a substantial amount of your free time to the United Way instead?
1: Uh, Peter, I, c- I come by it. Uh in a, in a very interesting way, I, my wife, Marianne, and I have a son, Walker. We have two children, Caroline, who's away at, in Delaware at college, and we, our son, Walker, has I- significant intellectual disabilities caused by a genetic disorder. One of the things you learn early on is that um, in order to raise a child, um, it does take a village, and it takes a village worth of resources. Our way of, uh, of taking care of, um, I, I guess, Walker is to allow that village to do what it does, but In in kind of a reciprocity moment, we we believe that because Walker takes an inordinate amount of resources to get him through his life, uh, this is one of our ways of giving back is participation in organizations like United Way. United Way has a structure and a system that supports so that the work that I get to do is focused primarily on what I can do, and that's connecting with people in the community, in the business community at large, and helping them bring, uh, helping them raise their awareness about the, the phenomenal good that gets done by United Way. As a matter of fact, um, this year, uh, and you mentioned I'm chair of the 2015-2016 the, uh, campaign, um, the campaign has as its, um, as its um, theme what this place needs. And what this place needs, this place being Greater New Orleans, the seven parishes that served by United Way of Southeast Louisiana, is more people to step up and contribute and give back to the community in a way that uh, helps the the citizens and the communities at large. Now, Brian... You've carved out an impressive
2: career in the (coughs) non-profit world. Mm -hmm. You've worked in billion-dollar organizations, and you've consulted international groups from Egypt to South Africa. Um, Other than the obvious lure of getting to eat at Emeralds (laughs) regularly, what attracted you to what seems like a very specifically focused mission of culinary-based youth charity heading up the uh, Emerald Lagasse Foundation?
4: Well, the, the easiest way to answer that question is to say because I have the greatest job in the world. Okay. And that was the path I was following and to have that opportunity. And, and what I mean by that is I've been in the fundraising, nonprofit world for 18 years. So that's my professional background. But my personal interest is I'm a diehard foodie. I am one of those geeks that's constantly watching the Food Network and uh, the Cooking Food Channel. Porn, and I believe, is what that's it, called. I yes, don't want to like say it. I don't know want lot no, to say I didn't on wanna the, bring the that radio up, but. here. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and then I told Emeril this, so hopefully it's not too creepy on air for everybody else to hear it. Emeril was one of my idols. So I had his apron. I had his pots, his pans. <laughs> when my wife and I got married, we celebrated our our wedding at one of his restaurants in Las Vegas. We had everything. And um, I just, I was always attracted to his energy and his spirit and the way he talked about food. And so when this opportunity opened to take my professional skills and my personal interests and put them all together, I'm going to go back to that statement. I said, I have the greatest job in the world. <laughs> then on top of that is to see the impact that we're making with youth in this community.
2: And tell me wh- wh- what that looks like.
4: I can give you a couple examples. It will range anywhere from putting in a teaching kitchen at St. Michael's so that those students learn a little bit about food preparation and maybe their ultimate goal in meeting them where they're at is so that they can make a meal for themselves one day so mom and dad doesn't have to do that for them. To NOCA, we put in a, mm-hmm. the culinary program there at NOCA so that these kids in high school are getting exposed to food at a higher level and learning about culinary training these kids might go on to become the next great chef and then we'll even meet folks midway halfway in between we do a lot of work with liberty's kitchen cafe Mm -hmm. hope cafe reconcile supporting those programs and that's giving kids an opportunity to maybe reinvent themselves come from a situation that's probably a little disadvantaged a little bit challenged to come in and take some pride, learn some life skills, learn some hard skills as well, graduate from those programs, and then go get a job to contribute back into Mm -hmm. this community in the hospitality industry. Uh, T. Martin here will tell you at Commander's and Emeril will tell you at his restaurants, there's not enough folks in the service industry here both front of the house and back of the house. And so not only are we contributing to these kids' lives, we think we're adding something uh, to the community as well. So those are just a couple examples, but we'll also do uh, second harvest is a big thing. And then finally, a space that we've been moving more and more into is culinary gardens and teaching kitchens uh-huh. in the school. So we work with first-line schools, and we're getting literally kindergartners up through eighth graders hands in the dirt.
2: Rick, let me ask you, um uh, what have you brought from your business background that's helped in the I- the united way oh
1: well, i th- I think the the courage to get out there and act and, and ask um, you know when you, co- when you connect the issue of philanthropy and and giving and community support it, it's not a very far leap to to understand that property values real estate values are largely dependent on the quality of life issues mm-hmm. th- in in the community we serve so the um the connection is is almost immediate but one of the things that uh, that actually brought me into the United Way I needed I need to tell I want to t- I tell you about I was sitting at a business council New Orleans meeting and um, and I was listening to someone make a presentation on the things that we need to do to take care of the quality of life issues like crime and uh, in the city and uh, and, and uh, someone who I was Frank Stewart and I we were sitting next to each other and Frank leaned over he put his hand on my arm and I'll never forget this moment because I said Rick, We'll never have enough money to build enough prisons, enough jails mm. to incarcerate people. What we need to do is strike at the root causes of poverty. And we need to do that through education and economic building economic opportunity. That moment was a, a turning point in, in, uh, in, in my thinking about how do we solve these problems. The, um, the transformation United Way has gone through to strike at the root causes. So uh, the way I think about it is it's at the front of the crime conveyor belt. If we can teach kids to read, it's been said that you, for example, that from birth to three, um, children learn to read. But from three on, they read to learn. And if you miss that critical yeah, right. moment in the lives of children and their development, uh, Brian, you mentioned brain waves. And, or, or Michael, you, you mentioned the, the, the synaptic functions that are that are being developed in that critical moment. If we can, if we can intervene earlier in the process, then it'll actually... 10, 15, 20 years from now, it'll lessen the burden on those things that uh, we're we hearing in the news every day, like the criminal justice system, uh, you know, how do we incarcerate, how do we arrest more people? That's not the answer, mm. it's, a, it's an issue we need to deal with, but the answer is found in the mission of the United Way.
3: We really believe that if we can focus around early care and education, grade level reading, ensuring that children are reading proficiently by third grade, so they're ready for the fourth grade, if we can keep them in school, you know, make sure they stay in school and make sure they have productive in school, out of school time activities. You know, they give them the proper care and supports they need and then get them in high school thinking about, you know, career, you know, are they ready for a career? What does that look like? Am I going to go to a four-year institution? Am I going to go the career tech ed route try to find one of those good paying jobs that I can be certified for when I graduate high school, helping children navigate, you know, that continuum. And if they come out of high school ready, to take a job or ready to go on to the next phase of their education then great the, all the research suggests that they stand a far greater chance of succeeding in life and so you know and that's what we all want Every, you know right. i don't think anybody looks around and says you know well i really would like to have more individuals you know homeless or living in poverty <laughs> right i don't think anybody believes that and, and we've actually found ourselves sometimes falling into the trap of saying these issues are complex they're complicated <coughs> Let me tell you, they're not complex, they're not complicated. The reality is, we know what it takes to fix the problem. The real question is, do we as a community, as leaders, et cetera, have the intestinal fortitude to step up and invest where we got to invest to ensure that more children have a chance to succeed In School, you know, obviously, you know, and then college, hopefully, and then obviously life.
1: I want to add that as challenging and competitive as the, as the uh, fundraising efforts are out there today, we need to say thank you to the 400 companies, 400 plus companies that are right now running company corporate campaigns to raise money and, and to, to make all of what Michael just talked about happen.
4: It's a great point to make is a lot of times folks think, well, that's for the rich. You know, that's for somebody else. I can't afford that. In fact, if you look in the United States, again, uh, we talk about this large money. Uh, yes, the, most of the dollars are coming from the high net worth, the top 1%, but most of the gifts, actually, the lower middle income class is more philanthropic than any other class of folks based upon how often they give and the percent of what they give compared to their income. And so everyone is generous and everyone has that ability to make that impact in somebody else's life. And it's the collective, and that's what I've always loved about the United Way, It's, it's the way to pull them all together to make that impact. And that's the beautiful thing. And that's what I love about our jobs. I don't know if you all know this, but you know what philanthropy is? If you break it down in, I think, Greek or Latin, uh, you know, I was maybe sleeping those we days do in history show in Latin. class. Latin. That's yeah, what I was yeah, wondering. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> philos anthropos. Philos is love. Anthropos is humankind. So philanthropy is the love of humankind. And... You know, I, I think that's the magical thing. When we stop and say that number sometimes, 250000000000 billion. I've even heard it all the way up to $350, billion, $350 billion annually. There's no other country in the world that comes close to that. You know, I talked about doing some work in Saudi Arabia and South Africa and all over. There's no one that is that generous in their philanthropy. Now, some might do it through their government, some might do it one-on-one, but there's no other place in the world that does quite like that he, as we do here in the United States. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. And I think you know it was also touched upon that not only is it good for the person benefiting, it's good for the community, it's good for business, and here's the little lost uh, thing that I think people miss out on is it's good for the donor. The joy that is created when someone makes a gift, and that's our job, is to make them feel really good about that is unparalleled in fact they've done scientific studies and they've shown that it triggers the same part of the brain as any other pleasure as eating a good meal so when someone makes they've, they've done the, tra- uh, the the actual brain scanning when they make that philanthropic gift it triggers a pleasure part of the brain
2: and then in the spring the pleasure it's arrived when you when your cpa tells you you can write it off <laughs> that's, that's a, a good thing as that's well a, i that's often a break a good thing down well. into his every spring on that that, <laughs> that is it now brian rick and michael let's do a round of one quick question. There's some questions that have come in from listeners, and I'm going to ask you one each. Uh, The person doesn't want to be named, uh, perhaps for witness protection (laughs) purposes, (laughs) but it's an interesting question for Michael and Rick. The question is, given United Way's proven ability at organization, instead of soliciting funds, could they start or buy a business that would create employment and generate profit uh, that they could redistribute? Yeah,
3: it's interesting. <clears throat> There's a lot of work taking place around the country now around social impact bonds and investing. We haven't necessarily kind of gone into that just yet here at our United Way in New Orleans. Although there may be some some work taking place around the community, but in essence, in some ways, you know, things like that are are taking place. If you take, talk about the work about you know Cafe Hope, Cafe Reconcile, Liberty's Kitchen, and others that are creating businesses that deliver multiple benefits. You know, the least of which would be you know individuals gaining a skill and being prepared to kind of enter the workforce and so i think the opportunity before us peter is because we are transforming ideas like that are ideas that we can seriously think about because we're no longer going to be trapped in a model that suggests that we raise money and we allocate it to you know just a variety of programs that we believe do good work Mm -hmm. you know the ultimate goal is to kind of measure a common objective across the community and there are various ways to get at that, including incubating new business models through social impact work, you know, social impact investing. So I would say that um, you know, all those types of ideas are welcome and there's a lot more space for innovation in our world today than there was
2: even 10 years ago. Thank you. Now Brian, uh, the question came in for you from Missy Hansen Uh, who asked, the Emerald Legacy Foundation is involved in some schools. Would you consider starting up and funding a position for an overall food and nutrition consultant for for all local schools?
4: Interesting. You know, I mean, I think it's something we're always looking for ideas and those opportunities to be able to impact more youth in this community. So I'd certainly never rule anything out. I think the challenge, we've done a lot of work with first-line schools, um, as I mentioned when it comes to the the edible schoolyards and teaching kitchens i, th- I think the challenge is, is getting all schools to agree to do something together um you know with the charter movement here i think that brings a lot of uh, positive change but you also have different boards you have different leadership and getting everyone involved together i think might be a difficult challenge um, i know there are groups out there focused on that trying to focus on overall food policy changes. Um, there's a lot of work happening throughout the state and it's something that we support and believe in as well as changes of what type of foods are being served in the cafeterias. You'd be surprised um, the challenges that some schools have of trying to provide healthy local foods to the cafeterias. And why is that? Well, they're more expensive, frankly. Remember. It's really easy to go to a large vendor to get large quantity of food um, that's made very cheap, not always the most healthy, to give to your students. And I understand that. That's the economics of trying to keep a school open. I understand those challenges. Um, But are we doing a disservice to our children by not putting healthy food, or at least presenting healthy food options to them? And so there's a lot of work being there. How can you make that happen and still make it Um, economical and there are some choices out there and there's some opportunities and um, I know Liberty's Kitchen is one of those ones that's working with some schools to be able to do that and so we're very interested in that. I don't know if that answers the question exactly for Missy but hopefully touches upon it a
2: little bit. Well thank you and Michael Williamson, Rick Haas, Brian Kish, there's probably almost nobody in New Orleans that hasn't been touched personally by selfless giving. Sometimes we go through hard times and there is simply no federal, state, or local government assistance available. In times like those you all are literally saving lives. As New Orleanians, we learned the hard way how necessary it is to accept charity when you need it. Thank you for everything you're doing for us as a city and as a community, and thanks for taking the time to join me Out to Lunch today. Well, thank, thank you. For having Great having, so having glad you, to be here. Thank, thank you. you. My guests Out to Lunch today have been Michael Williamson, President and CEO of United Way Southeast Louisiana, Rick Haas, president of Lateran bloom and current campaign chair for united way and brian kish the president of the emerald lagasse foundation you can find out more about new orleans charitable giving and michael rick and brian's roles in it by following the links on our websites it's neworleans.com and www.no.org. our show is recorded live over lunch at commander's palace in new orleans commander's palace serves lunch monday through friday jazz brunch on saturday and sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric uh, Mid City's own Jennifer Brady is our researcher. <laughs> Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website, itsneworleans.com. If you wanna know what we look like, this is always the scary part, you can you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Dion Grayson. Out to Lunch is a production of iNO Broadcasting for its Orleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Verschoody. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch.
0: Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the US, providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 128 years, and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and 30 North Investments. Thank you.